Up here, we're going to be continuing our message in the book of Malachi, and it's actually a great message to coincide with this baptism service that we have. But as we've been going as a church, we've been studying this book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's the last book written before the birth of Jesus. But there's a 400-year gap between when the prophet Malachi wrote this letter to the Israelites talking about the things that God was struggling with, the things He was upset with the Israelites for, and when He actually sends Jesus Christ as His Savior. Yet, even though this book is 2,400 years before today is when it was written, what we're finding is it's just as applicable to us today as it was to them. So today we're going to see that the Israelites felt like God wasn't being fair to them. They didn't like how he was doing things. They questioned him, they doubted him, and they accused him of being so unfair. And if you've had kids, you've raised kids, maybe you're raising kids, I don't need to ask a show of hands. I know that you have been accused of being so unfair, mom. You have a 16-year-old. You let them use your car. You give them $20 to buy dinner. And you say, be home by 11. And they're like, oh, 11? That's so unfair. All my friends stay out till midnight. Or you've got a younger child and you're watching a movie together, but they're six. And so you say, hey, it's eight o'clock. It's time to go to bed. And they pout and they storm away because their older siblings get to see the movie. And that's, you're being so mean to me, mom. You're being so unfair, dad. You've got your teenager who gets mouthy with you, or maybe they fail to do the chores that you ask them to do, and they take away the phone. And horror of horrors! Mom, what are you doing? That's so mean to me. When your little child, you tell them they have to finish dinner before they get dessert, and they don't. So dinner comes around, or dessert comes around, and everybody gets dessert, and they don't get theirs. And in that moment, that pouty lip comes, <laughs> this is so mean, this is so unfair. And what's going on? These kids complain over and over and over growing up. And it's what ends up happening is they say, you're the bad guy. You're the one who's not doing what they expect to happen. But what they don't understand is they don't, expect, they don't understand what you're doing as their parent. You have a rhyme and reason for making the choices and the decisions that you're making, and they don't get it. And so they complain over and over and over again, and it can be exhausting. And to all of that, right now, God hears this, and he gives it a hearty amen. This is exactly what he was dealing with with the Israelites. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be picking up the very last verse of chapter 2 in the book of Malachi and then reading the first few verses of chapter 3. Um, so we have to understand that when chapter numbering got put into our Bibles, it was not the original writers putting numbers in their system. It goes back to, I think, the King James Bible, and there are people who looked at verse 17 and said, really? That belongs with chapter 3, not with chapter 2. Most all Bible scholars agree with that, so that's why we're reading the last cha verse, chapter 2, and how that ties in with all of chapter 3. So, all that said, Malachi 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. 
How have we wearied him, you ask, by saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them? Or where is the God of justice? And so the first item to notice is their constant complaining and attacks on God's character and that they have exhausted him. And not literally, obviously, because God is the God of infinite strength and infinite patience. But figuratively, the Israelites are being like a children who complain incessantly, and God's just tired of hearing it. He's exasperated from trying to explain himself over and over through the prophets. But the people just don't understand All they can see is their own finite, short-term perspective. And so what are they saying about God? We see that these people have, there's two phrases in this passage. And so they're kind of running to one of two extremes here. Because what's happening is they're observing that there are people all around them, other Israelites, who are doing bad things. They've got bad behavior. But God isn't judging them right away they seem to be getting away with it. In fact, they seem to be living the blessed life, even though they're doing things that God shouldn't be happy with. And so they see their upright friends and family who are struggling with health issues or troubles with their livestock, and they say, well, why are good people facing troubles and bad people are getting away with it? This doesn't seem fair. So they run to one of these two Uh, extremes here when they see this evil behavior seemingly being blessed by God. The first is they're justifying the bad behavior is right. And they're saying, well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe God's okay with it. After all, they seem to be being blessed by God. Or they say, God, you're being so unfair. And they question God's justice. In the first case, They see their neighbors doing things that they know God should disapprove of, but he's allowing it. So they're starting to say, maybe God's okay with this. In fact, maybe he's even pleased with it because they seem to be doing fine. And we still see this today. Things that God has clearly defined in scriptures, things that Christians have held as true for 2,000 years are starting to shift. Things like gender and marriage and acceptance of sex outside of marriage have all been shifting in our culture and in our churches and in a lot of denominations. But it's not just culture war stuff. Giant corporations squeeze out the cheapest labor that they can from the poorest countries typically because they're trying to maximize profits for their shareholders. And we call it capitalism. And we're okay with it. We look at it and say, well, that's a blessing of capitalism. But we've got, we're going to see some verses at the end of Malachi here, and we do have to wrestle with them a little bit. People have justified some bad behavior as right and even said that it pleases God in our day and age. They say it better fits with their version of God of love. And I imagine that this too exhausts the Lord who must be wondering, what more he could have done to show us right from wrong. Now I'm going to take a tangent. I'm going to brag, okay? An illustration. I got sheep yesterday. Some of you know this. I've been very excited about preparing for my sheep. I spent months building a fence, okay? So I built seven strands of electric wire all the way around. It's beautiful. 
and the sheep are inside. And inside that fence, the sheep are safe from predators. Inside that fence is all the grass they need, the water, the mineral block. My blessing of provision has been given to the sheep inside that fence. But are the sheep going to stay inside that fence? No. I'm aware they're not staying inside the fence. They're going to jump outside the fence. This is a perfect illustration of God and his law. God gives us his law. He says, this is the boundary and it is good for you. If you stay inside of here, you are safe and you will be blessed. And yes, it won't be perfect one for one, but this is my best for you. Stay in the fence. But we're like sheep and we're like, but the grass looks so good over there. I want that grass, not this grass. I want that leafy green, not this leafy green. So we keep jumping the fence. And God keeps going after us like a sheep and say, get your butt back in the fence. Get back where you belong. This is where you belong. He gave us the law over and over. He gave, us the pro- gave the Israelites the prophets over and over. Today, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who speaks to us over and over. Stop, don't do that. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting other people. And we keep jumping over the fence. And God gets tired. But he's also infinitely patient. And he never stops. You know, we have this picture that he's weary. But at the same time, we never see a God who gives up. He keeps going after us. How much better, though, would it be if the sheep, my sheep, I pray that they learn, that they understand it's for their good that they stay inside the fence. And how much better it would be if all of us learned staying within God's law would be best for us. Rather than thinking that the blessing as being of being outside the boundary with unrestrained sex and increased wealth, God wants us to see that ultimately his plans for us are what's best. When we call evil, evil, and we call good, good, and we care for our neighbor rather than looking out for our own selfish desires, that's where God wants us, right in the middle of that. And in the second case, so that's justifying bad behavior is right. We don't want to do that. We want to say evil is evil, good is good. The second case, questioning God's justice. I imagine this sounds to God, but God, that's so unfair. We've all heard it. Like I began the message, we've all heard this complaint. It is annoying. It grates on us. But we do it to God the same way that our children have done it to us. The difference is, as parents, we understand the truth that life's simply not fair. Sometimes bad stuff happens to people just because. And other times, bad people seem to have everything go their way. It doesn't mean that God got who he curses and who he blesses mixed up. He didn't get it wrong. He's not being unfair. What it means is that God created this world and he gave us free will. And all of humanity has free will. And that means people can wrong you. They have the right and the freedom to do bad things to you and harm you. And that stinks. It's the result of this world that's marred by sin. And sometimes life doesn't turn out how we expect it to. And God isn't correcting every single injustice the moment it occurs. He's not like, hey, you screwed up right there. Zap. That's a really good thing. Because we would all be in so much trouble if God meted out his justice the moment we ever did wrong. 
Because here's the thing. Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death when he writes to the Romans. He says, if you've ever sinned, you deserve death. That's every single person on the face of the earth. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve death. And if God was a God who had absolutely no patience, and the moment you did something wrong, he instantly showed his justice by following through on what we deserve, none of us would be alive. So it's a good thing that God, the way he handles his justice is that he is uh, slow to anger. He's giving us time to say, Jesus, I trust you for the forgiveness of my sins. He's giving us time to receive him into our lives. He's giving us the opportunity to turn from our wicked ways. We need God to be slow and patient with us. So, um, God ultimately, he's playing the long game. He's extending mercy and he's withholding that instant justice. And praise God, he's offering us grace and forgiveness, like I've said. He's put a plan in motion, and that plan may not fit what we think of as fair. Like as children, they say, I don't understand what you're doing, Dad. That doesn't seem fair. And sometimes we look at life and we say that doesn't seem fair. We have to trust God as the Heavenly Father understands what's going on. And we just say, God, I don't see it, but I trust you're fair. I trust you're good. Now, chapter 3, God turns to describe his solution to the injustice that people are observing. So let's see how God will respond to the injustice that the people see is so unfair. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so what we see in this verse is it actually has a double fulfillment. What that means is when one prophetic nugget is actually fulfilled in two different places. So the beginning of this has already been fulfilled in John the Baptist. But the back half of this verse has not yet been fulfilled and will be fulfilled at Jesus' second coming. We know this because what is said at the beginning of this verse so clearly matches what Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 3 of the book of Isaiah. He writes, A voice of one calling out, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And we're confident this prophecy has been fulfilled because in the book of Matthew, it tells us it's been fulfilled. Matthew, early in his gospel, chapter 3, says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So, first half of this been fulfilled. Second half, though, of the Lord suddenly appearing in the temple. We haven't had that yet. We're still waiting for that moment. And so in this prophecy, we see partially fulfilled, but not yet fully. And then Malachi's prophecy continues to describe the second coming of Jesus, and it doesn't necessarily sound good. In verse 2, it says, but who can endure the day 
of His coming. Who can stand when He appears? For He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. The Israelites probably experienced a bit of shock actually when they heard these words. You know, they're like, God, it's so unfair. Take care of those people. Fix the problems with those bad people. And God's like, look, there's a lot of issues with all of you. And he's starting with his Israelites. He's starting with the Levites, the priests. And he's coming for them to be, first we see he's going to burn off all the dross and the impurities of, like a metal. And he's go- what's going to be left is going to be what's pure and what's holy. The rest is going to be burned up and taken away from the presence of the Lord. He uses the second illustration of the launderer's soap, or what some translations more literally, the lie. It's like a really harsh soap to remove the impurities of the garment, to cleanse the garment. And it's not, it's not like soft and gentle like we have nowadays in our soaps at the grocery store. You know, but this launderer's soap was to cleanse the wicked people out of the presence of God. And these two images are pointing to his ultimate judgment. This is the judgment the people long for so long as it's on their terms. But God is saying that they might not be ready for this. Who can endure the day of his coming? He asks rhetorically. And many of them, honestly, simply are not ready for that day. We continue reading in verse 3. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. And I love how this prophecy right now turns us back to the passages that we've looked at already in Malachi. He already accused the priests of not doing what was right. They were dishonoring God and they were dishonoring the people. The people were bringing these lame, inferior sacrifices to the altar. They're bringing their bare minimum, you know, the cull animals and saying, that's good enough for God. And God said, I'd rather you would shut the temple doors than keep doing that. And he's saying, you know what? But when the day of the Lord comes, when the impurities are wiped away, when the people who don't care about me are burned away, then I will receive offerings and sacrifices that I will accept. Verse 5, we keep reading. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. When you turn through the pages of Scripture, there's actually multiple spots where you find what essentially is a sin list. Paul's got several of them in his New Testament letters. Here, it's essentially, this is a list of sins, things God doesn't want us doing. And because this passage up till now has been talking about injustice done to other people, he's picking out sins which are injustices that hurt other people. And so on this list, we see sorcerers who damage the spiritual nature of a person by turning them to other gods and other spirits. We see adulterers who damage their own marriage 
and their own spouses as well as other people by getting involved in sexual relationships that they shouldn't be a part of. We see perjurers who are lying to cover up wrongdoing and push blame onto other people. Some are defrauding laborers of their wages. Often at this time, it was they wouldn't pay the laborer the wage. You know, somebody would help them gather up all the grain in the field and they'd say, I'll pay you when I get paid after selling it. But that person needs money today to buy bread for their family today. And they're saying, no, 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 that's your problem. That's not my problem. I'll give you money after I get money. Or maybe they're saying, you know what? That's not what we agreed to. And they hold back more for themselves and give the bare minimum to the laborer, taking advantage of them. Some are oppressing widows and orphans, taking advantage of those without a protector who's helping them out, you know, without a husband or without a father. They were just completely vulnerable in those days. And finally, others are depriving foreigners, essentially ancient immigrants, of the justice deserved of all people. And my final word on this list, it sure has a lot of commonalities to today. Unions are fighting against corporations for wages right now. We're seeing that all over. Immigration spiked across the entire world. It's not just in America and our southern border. Immigration's become an issue all over the world. We've got single moms who are essentially widows nowadays, and we have kids who may have a parent or two in the home who have completely uh, not done what a parent's supposed to do, and kids are basically raising themselves much like an orphan with nobody looking out for them. And these aren't Republican-Democrat issues, but they should be issues that all of us care about because we're seeking justice, because God shows us that these are the issues that He cares about. We need to care about the justice issues that God in His Scripture clearly says He cares about. Look out for the widow. Look out for the orphan. Look out for the laborer who's being taken advantage of. Those are God's issues. They're not political. And God more than just cares about these issues. Remember, this is coming at the end of His judgment passage talking about how He's going to come and He's going to put on trial the people who are doing these things, the people who do not fear God and don't care about what He says about these issues. So, in response to today's message, I have two applications I want you to chew on for the next week, okay? Boils down to two things. First, be servants of justice. God is going to judge those who have sinned against His righteousness at his second coming. We know this is going to happen. This is written in scripture. It's very clear. It isn't playing out immediately. Sometimes people who do terrible things to us don't have bad things happen to them right away. And we say, God, why is that? That seems so unfair. He's working on a different timeline, but he's still going to mete out his justice. In the meantime, even as life seems to be unfair, we are called to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And that means that in everything we do, we are trying to bring God's justice and peace, His shalom, to this earth. It means we live how we know God desires for us to live. And we do that in the here and the now. It means we seek to end suffering and injustice when we hear about it. And in so doing, we show the hurting world a demonstration of God's love. 
One example of where we do this well is in our concern of the unborn child. That's important because we are giving voice to the voiceless. And we need to carry out this passage from Malachi and make sure that we also seek to take care of orphans, to take care of the kids who don't have parents helping them out at all, to get involved where you can with foster care or adoptive parents or organizations that are helping those families, to help the kids in the schools that you know are kind of on their own, that it might have a cost, but that's what we're called to do. That's what God's justice looks like. It's our sacrifice. It's also helping out the single moms who are essentially widows. They don't have a man who's providing financially, so they're trying to work and raise the kids and take care of mealtime, and they're tired. And rather than saying, well, that's kind of their own fault, they did it to themselves, we show empathy and sympathy, and we say, you know what? Jesus still loves that mom. Jesus loves that child. And it's up to us to show that love, to bless them, to show them grace as an extension of God's love into their life. We're supposed to be looking out for those who are easily forgotten and taken advantage of. That's God's justice lived out in his kingdom come to this earth. And when the kingdom comes one day in its fullness, all these injustices we see are going to be issues that are corrected. And praise Jesus, I can't wait. But in the meantime, it's our job to help and serve where we're able to. Second homework for you all. Be ready for judgment. Be ready. God warns that His day of judgment is going to be trouble for those who have given up on Him and His righteous ways. Who can stand it, he says. You see, God's judgment is not just against the really bad people. I see this play out at funerals. At funerals, everybody who has a loved one pass away, they go, oh yeah, they're going to heaven. And you hear about their life and you're like, well, why? They never put their trust in Jesus. And they're like, well, they're an okay person. They're a decent enough dad, blah, blah. When somebody dies, everybody always says, well, my loved one is going to heaven. Yeah, some people go to hell, but it's for the people who are worse than that person who died. We make some really goofy judgment calls ourselves when we're trying to decide who's righteous enough and who's not righteous enough to go to heaven or hell, which scripture is clear about. And like I've already said, all of us deserve hell based on how we live. Every one of us, me, the saintliest churchgoer you know, apart from God, we all deserve hell. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But God knew that. He made a way. He came. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. So instead of our death being the payment for our own sins, Jesus' death on the cross and His blood makes the payment for our sins. That cleansing and purifying of the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap can be made in this life by the blood of Jesus washing us clean from our sin, taking away our shame, and making us holy and pure children of God. We can have this experience of purification now in this life rather than waiting for the judgment that is to come. 
That's what God has made available to us. Because of his great love, he's willing to forgive us. Now, if you've never done that, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you're here for the first time and you're hearing this judgment message, I'm kind of sorry because they're harsh messages. And at the same time, I also trust that God brings who he wants to be here today to hear this passage from Malachi chapter 3 that landed on this day when I put this series together two months ago and worked out when we have the baptism service. And I look at it as God's beautiful way of bringing things together. And maybe this is a message you need to hear today. And that is, God is going to judge, but he also has this incredible grace. He has this incredible love He wants you to say, Jesus, I agree. Life's not fair. I think life's not fair. You probably think life's not fair too. Except God is saying, and I'm withholding my judgment for your good, for your grace, for your benefit. And one day I'm going to make it all right. Don't worry. Trust me. I'm going to make all the wrongs right. Those who have done terrible things and who have never asked for forgiveness, who have never come to me and turned their lives around, they will receive my wrath. Believe you me, that will happen. However, I'm also a God who wants that none should perish, but all should come to eternal life. So I make this offer available. And if you haven't received that offer yourself, I encourage you to. I encourage you to say, you know what? I want to be on Team Jesus. I want to be a part of a group of people who want to bring God's justice to this earth in the here and the now. I want to be a part of seeing what God is doing and being loved to other people. And I understand I'm a mess too. And I want the forgiveness that comes only through Jesus Christ. If that's you, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I'm done leading this thing myself. It's not working. The world around me, I can't fix it. Only you can. And so I confess my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And ultimately, I want to live my life following you. That's the difference between those who are going to experience eternal life with God and those who are going to experience eternal judgment. The difference isn't necessarily in how we live perfectly. The difference is, do we have an attitude and an openness to follow Jesus or not? I encourage every one of you in this room, make that decision today. The God of the Bible, the one we worship, has proven himself time and time again through all of human history that he is just. Even when things don't seem to make sense from our own perspective We must trust that the eternal, holy, perfect God is fair and working in ways where everything will be made right. And when that day comes, and when he turns the wrongs right, what a glorious day that's going to be. As followers of Jesus, we can cling to these words in this passage that ultimately, we don't have to fear God. We can just hold on to him. And then we will be the ones who stand in the day of the Lord when he suddenly returns. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?